Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. Good evening, everyone. Okay, three strangers moving in different directions find themselves pulled into a small town in the middle of Ohio, a force reeling them in like a needle drawn to the compass of the north. Powerless to stray from their impending convergence, where they must take a battle, or take a stand in a battle between good versus evil. But what happens if good wears the face of evil? Blood of Life is a macabre tale of what freedom, love, and being human is. The must-read new novel by Daniel Belts is out now, and so is an interview that I did with him a few weeks ago, so go check that out. He spilled some beans on that book as well. But, I saw war. Well, i got to thank Daniel for uh, sharing the love the last uh, couple months with us. Um, like I said, go check out that podcast. But tonight, our friend of the show, Fred, oh, musician and author Fred Letlin, He's the author of numerous books examining the JFK assassinations, including the latest one, On the Trail of Delusion. Years ago, Fred jumped into the deep end of the JFK conspiracy poll and found himself moving to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone assassin who shot the young president. Fred, welcome back to the Mallard Report. How are you doing this evening? Very good. Great to be here. So... Let's talk about the Trail of Delusion. Well, you got two of them. Let's talk about the Trail of Delusion first, and then we'll get into the other book, and then we'll just go through some of these fun things that's going on here. Sure. So talk to me about Trail. It came out in January, so it's really fresh off the presses, though. Uh, no, this came out a couple of years ago. Oh, what came my, out in my, January? No, my Oliver Stone book oh. just came out. Oh, okay. Well, talk to me. Pick one. It's what's... <laughs> I got my wires crossed. I was I was just joking about not crossing the streams. What did I just do? Oh no! So let's talk. Let's talk about the Oliver Stone book first because that's the newest sure. one. Yep. So my, my my book on Oliver Stone is called Oliver Stone's Film Flam, the Demagogue of Daily Plaza, and basically uh, in twenty at the end of twenty twenty one, Oliver Stone released a new documentary on the JFK assassination. He actually released two documentaries. One was a two-hour version, and one was a four-hour version. Basically the same thing. And I decided uh, I had to have a look, and I really immediately realized that there was so much in this documentary series that I could debunk. And since I was at home and COVID was a big thing, uh, I had lots of time to sit at home and do research. And every day on my blog, I would debunk one thing from Oliver Stone's documentary. And after I had debunked a whole bunch of stuff, people started asking me, are you going to put this in a book? This could be a book. And I realized, yeah, you know, this might make an interesting book. And then I started thinking about the stuff I should add. And I started writing some essays and uh, plugging the holes. And by the time I finished, I have like 47 chapters in this book debunking stuff. Okay, so this is just a a technical question for you. And you probably don't have an answer, but... I'm going to ask it anyways because maybe Oliver Stone will hear this and maybe he'll come on my program and answer me. But yep. odds are he won't, but we'll just throw this out here. Why go to the effort to put two documentaries that are basically the same thing out? So what happened was I th- they initially made, I think, a three-hour or three-episode documentary, and they wanted to sell it to Netflix and National Geographic. And the fact-checkers at those organizations rejected his documentary series. And so the, the producers decided they would go back and remake it into one two-hour movie and then try and sell that. And they took that to Cannes in France to market it, and eventually the only streaming service that would pick it up was Showtime. And they showed the two-hour version for a couple of months. So you, you, you started debunking. I mean, how... How 
is it possible that somebody with the resources of Oliver Stone and making a documentary is putting out that much information? Misinformation. Sorry, I stumbled on that one. Well, I think I think Oliver Stone really wanted to, to vindicate himself after JFK from in 1991. And I think that he he works closely with his screenwriter, James Diogenio, who basically sort of talked him into, hey, let's do a documentary series. It'll make you look good. And everything you said was correct. And you'll be vindicated. And uh, I don't think Oliver Stone has the wherewithal to really do the, the necessary fact-checking. So he accepts all sorts of conspiracy stories and uh, got somehow got hooked into this one. Oh, but come on. Like we, it's not that hard to fact check some of these things, right? I mean, obviously you're doing it. You were doing it daily. Yeah. Well, I think he he really trusted his screenwriter and and really believed that that there was this was really really good conspiracy stories. And um, so I think you know I think he was willingly hoodwinked, so to speak. So I think he was quite willing to go along and and at the same time didn't realize that. The stuff he is he was going to present or is now presenting is just easily debunkable. Okay, so obviously my show is only an hour long, and these documentaries were, you know, hours long. But give me the one really bad, egregious one that jumps to mind when you start talking about this. Well, just one good example was he claimed the documentary series commission exhibit three ninety nine, which was the bullet they found at Parkland Hospital. So they claim in the documentary series that, you know, as, as the bullet was passed around from the FBI to the Secret Service, that they, they put their initials on the bullet. And so they claim in the documentary that an FBI agent, Elmer Todd, who had handled the bullet, did not put his initials on there, on the bullet, and therefore the chain of custody was broken. And what I did was I worked with one of my friends and... In 2016, the National Archives put online ultra-high-res photographs of CE-399. Now, these are not easy photographs to look at. I actually had to hire a consultant to come in and download them because you have to stitch them together. And it takes a half a terabyte of hard drive to do it. So he did it. He stitched all these photos together, sent it to my friend Steve, we had to get a special viewer to even look at these photos, and we found the initials of this FBI agent. They were there all the time. And so they didn't even bother to go to the best evidence and check it out. I mean, it's really sloppy research. Wait, wait. This is Maybe I forgot this somewhere online, but how many sets of initials are on the bullet, though? Oh, there's around four different sets. So as it passed from, you know, the Secret Service initially got it and they passed it to people in the FBI. So at every opportunity, they would initially, they sketched, they put their initials in it. Now I'm just sitting here looking at my pen and I'm trying to imagine. Yeah, that's a whole other question. My, yep. writing, my writing's not that good. So they probably wanted to get No, they have special <laughs> things to attach their initials in. But, okay, so... Okay, so the chain of custody. Okay, help me out here. So the chain of custody wasn't really broken, and, and the, well, no, no. I, I, I guess my question is: Okay, so if even if it was, let's I'm playing devil's advocate. I guess is why I'm yep. dumbfounded by this. So even if it was, the bullet still went through the the man's head. It doesn't matter where it went afterwards. Well, they're trying to make the case that the chain of custody for a whole variety of physical evidence is not solved, and therefore, in a trial of Lee Harvey Oswald, they would all this evidence would be thrown out of court. And he would be he would be declared not guilty. That's sort of the case that they're trying to make. And I think in every instance where they try to do this, they're just wrong. And all of this evidence would have been admitted um, easily and uh, and would have helped to convict them. Well, they had the rifle. I mean, which I still don't understand why he left that there. But that's. Yeah, well, they had the rifle, and of course they try their best in the uh, documentary series to impugn the integrity of the rifle. Um, they even look. They even go so far in the documentary series to claim that the backyard photographs are fake. Well, I've seen you know, that. Yeah, seen they're that not before. fake. Like, come on. They're real photographs of Oswald, and Marina Oswald testified that she took them. 
So, so what part of the story did they get right? Did they get anything right? I guess, I mean, besides Kennedy was assassinated. No, they, you know what they got right was it's, it's, it's a documentary series with great cinematography, great editing, really good music. You've got Whoopi Goldberg and Donald Sutherland as the narrators. And so it looks slick. It looks amazing. It's really, really amazing. Um, that's what Oliver Stone can do right. He knows how to make a film. He knows how to hire the right people to make it look fantastic. The substance is another story. So I had scribbled on my notes because I did scribble the bullet down. Which um, so you're one for one. Let's let's talk about this other one. You mentioned Oswald going to trial. Obviously, he didn't get the opportunity to go to trial because Jack Ruby showed up and uh, killed him. And again, yep. in front of everybody. Yep. So for anybody, you know, the conspiracy. You know, the, I heard this uh, six months ago. And I don't want to say it changed my life, but it kind of did. The more people that uh, are in on a conspiracy, the harder it is to keep. Of course, I knew that. I mean, I've known that my whole life, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you tell somebody a secret, and now it's not a secret anymore because six other people know. So, but why would they... So if there's a conspiracy behind this, why would... I mean, Jack uh, Jack Ruby, okay, he was supposedly dying and did end up dying months later, right? No, he died in, he died in January 1967 of cancer. Okay, so a couple years later. Yeah. But for why would he throw his life away? Well, Ruby, and, and this is a, this is another one where they get it wrong in the in the documentary. Ruby was a man to understand Jack Ruby. You have to understand his Jewish background. And he was a man who was really uh, responded to anti-Semitism. He had fought fought anti-Semites his whole life. And on the day of the assassination, there was a full-page ad in the Dallas Morning News criticizing Kennedy. And the ad was signed by a Mr. Bernard Weissman. It's a Jewish name. And Jack Ruby saw that. And he was incensed because he thought that was really disrespectful. After the assassination, he went slightly crazy, thinking that maybe, maybe this guy Bernard Weissman was involved. Maybe Jewish people were involved. And he actually went to the post office box to try and find this Bernard Weissman. And so th this whole thing played out into Ruby impulsively shot Oswald and killed him. And the whole thing for, for, for Ruby really backfired because uh, the far right, like the John Birch Society, accused the Jews of being involved in the assassination because of Ruby, because his, his real name was Rubenstein. And that really made Ruby go crazy. Um, and in fact, he thought there was going to be a second Holocaust because the Jews would be blamed. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're thinking somebody is involved in it, why do you jump the gun, bad pun, sorry, and eliminate him before he gets a chance to tell what he knows? Yeah, well, it was, a, you know, Ruby, it was an impulsive act that will never actually fully understand Ruby's motivation because it was an impulsive act he happened just to be there he had, happened to have a gun and he was angry and and uh he was also on pills and uh he just he just killed oswald with one lucky shot he only managed to get off one shot he almost missed i was gonna say and that, i've seen that video several times fortunately unfortunately and you're thinking how does he um i mean because he wasn't steady or you know lining up well. I mean, to get that shot off in that moment with all those people around, it may have been more impressive than the actual assassination. Well, he lunged and you know, he, really, he sort of basically shot Oswald and and, and uh, so he, he kind of missed and Oswald almost made it through, but uh, there was just too much internal damage. Like I said, just all the chaos and I, I you know, because when you're sitting up there and you can kind of, cause I, I believe Oswald was there for a while in the, in the nest, so to speak, being ready. Yep. So, okay. So let's talk about the, the other side of this now, the uh, trail to, I can't even remember writing now. On the trail of delusion. Delusion. There we go. I shouldn't scribble. So, <laughs> so let's on, talk. on the trail of delusion is my book about Jim Garrison. Now, okay. Let's, let's put everybody on the same page. Who is Jim Garrison? So Jim Garrison was the district attorney of New Orleans in the early 1960s. And he basically 
charged an innocent gay man, Clay Shaw, with conspiring to kill Kennedy. He charged him in 1967. The case took two years to come to trial. Clay Shaw was acquitted. And then Garrison charged Shaw with two counts of perjury. And that took another two years to get rid of those charges. And then Shaw sued Garrison for $5 million in damages, but unfortunately died of lung cancer before the case could be heard. So give me a little more background here because I'm totally unfamiliar. Like I, I've done a lot of shows on JFK and done a lot of video watching. And this, this angle, I don't want to say is new to me, but it is. So help me out it's, here. It's an amazing story. So Lee Harvey Oswald lived in New Orleans for five months in the spring and summer of 1963. And so, you know, when in 1966, fall of 1966, Mark Lane's Rush to Judgment comes out, and there's all these books about the JFK assassination. And Jim Garrison was the DA, and he basically thought, well, you know, Oswald lived here for five months. Um, there were a couple of leads back then in 1963 related to Oswald. You know, maybe if there was a conspiracy, it was hatched in New Orleans. So he decided to go back and reinvestigate. And he had two leads that he wanted to look at. So the first lead was a, there was a lawyer in New Orleans by the name of Dean Andrews. And he was in the hospital during the assassination with double pneumonia. Very sick. He was under sedation. And he claimed that he got a call from somebody he knew asking him if he would go to Dallas and represent Lee Harvey Oswald. That was on the Saturday after the assassination. The next day, Oswald is killed. So that's sort of the end of the story. But the question becomes, who is the guy who called Dean Andrews? Back in 63, he basically said, it was a figment of my imagination. I was ill. I was under sedation. It may not have happened. The second lead that Garrison wanted to look at was uh, an investigator pilot by the name of David Ferry, who on the weekend of the assassination drove to Houston with a couple of his buddies to go ice skating, hunting, and then drove drive back. And he, David Ferry, was had a had a there was a guy in New Orleans who was feuding with Ferry. And so he called the FBI during that weekend and said, hey, this guy Ferry is involved. He knew Lee Harvey Oswald when Oswald was 16 in the Civil Air Patrol, and you got to speak to this guy. And they did, and there was nothing unusual, and he was let go. So Garrison wanted to go back and look at those two leads. There was nothing there. But Garrison ended up making up evidence, uh, making up forcing witnesses to say things, and he completely fabricated a case against this man, Clay Shaw, who he said was the mysterious Clay Bertrand who called Dean Andrews in the hospital. It was a complete sham. Well, okay, so okay, so we're going conspiracy, so some part of this, I guess, right? Is what they were looking for. And and what makes this all horrific is, you know, Clay Shaw was his life was ruined by Jim Garrison. And then Oliver Stone made Jim Garrison the hero in his movie GFK and made Clay Shaw the villain again. Okay, so you're going to have to help me out. I, I, I've yeah. told, I told you this before we started. I know enough about this stuff to be dangerous. He was in New Orleans and then moved to Dallas. But he went to Mexico City somewhere in there. Is that before or after? Yeah, so... so it was no. He was so in in like April 1963. Oswald moved to New Orleans, and he stayed there until the end of September. In which time he went to Mexico City for a week, and when he returned from Mexico City, he went right to Dallas. So in this guy's mind, it was more plausible that he did something in the six months in New Orleans than the week in Mexico City. Well, it was possible. It was just quite possible. Maybe if there was a conspiracy, was it incubated in New Orleans? I mean, I think that was a, sort of the general theory. Maybe there's something to be found in New Orleans. And I'm the district attorney of New Orleans, so I'm the right guy to investigate. But <laughs> what? I mean, why isn't this popping? Up? Did this pop up anywhere else? 
Like being being tied to a conspiracy with Oswald. Well, you know, these these two leads really didn't go anywhere, and and of course, any any honest district attorney would have said, okay, you know, I've investigated. There's nothing here. But Garrison was a very powerful man who was slightly a little crazy, but also not very ethical. And so he ended up, you know, using uh, testimony from people who were not reputable to sort of build a case against Clay Shaw. And and so it was all fabricated and made up, and uh, he ruined an innocent gay man's life for no good reason. So I guess the next question becomes... How can you build a conspiracy case on a potential phone call? And I'm still, I'm struggling here to put these pieces together. So what together. he did was, what he, what he did was he, he, um, he found a witness and a witness who basically his, his, his brilliance, Jim Garrison was he, he took those two leads and he fused them together. He found a witness who he administered sodium pentothal, true serum, and then he hypnotized this guy three on three separate occasions and basically recovered a memory of a party in New Orleans at which David Ferry, Clay Shaw, and Oswald were at, in which they planned the assassination. So it was a sort of a recovered memory of this assassination plot. And that was his evidence in the trial. So a, a twisted story with a twisted, oh my, like, I can't even, now I see why you're right about this, because this is just a horrible mess, at, at best. It's an incredible mess. story, and, you know, boy, somebody should make a movie about it, because it's just such a, it's so hard to believe that it happened. Yeah, that's, that's, that's wild. Like, and, and the other thing that people don't realize is Jim Garrison also charged... Um, a man in Los Angeles, Edgar Eugene Bradley, who was a promoter of Christian radio, he charged him with conspiring to kill Kennedy as well. Ronald Reagan would not allow him to be extradited, so nothing happened. Um, and years later, Garrison apologized for uh, erroneously indicting him. Now, I'm, I'm, again, dangerous enough in these subjects to be just dangerous enough, so bear my ignorance. Do you think this was some attempt to impress uh, J. Edgar Hoover? No, Garrison. Garrison. Well, you know, if Garrison had played his cards right, he would have uh, he would have gone on for higher office in Louisiana, like senator or governor. But he really thought that he could solve the JFK assassination, and in fact, at one point, his staff begged him to stop the to stop the investigation. And he said, "Are you crazy? I'm going to be famous for solving the assassination." Who was asking him to solve it? I guess is my 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 next. His question. own staff. His staff no, no, members. No. Were, no, they were asking him to lay off of it. But who was asking him to solve it? Well, no, he you know his staff realized that the whole investigation was ridiculous. And, and okay, so this is the mid sixties now. So, yeah, this is like sixty seven. So we're, the Warren Commission is done at that point, right? Oh yeah, this is well after the Warren Commission. This is when there was all the wave of controversy from Mark Lane and other critics criticizing the Warren Commission and that's why Garrison got caught up in this man I'm glad it wasn't the internet back then (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine just for a second just imagine that all the online for I mean we were talking before the show about all the hate that you get for some of these things still today but could you imagine well, and what really made Garrison very dangerous is that he was um, he was he was a very smart man who had a really a terrific sense of humor, and he was very well read. I mean, he could quote Shakespeare. He really knew his stuff, and so when journalists interviewed him, he he really they they couldn't get the better of him. He would really turn the tables on journalists, and uh, and he would say the most outrageous things and to get headlines, and uh, it was all nonsense. Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Okay. Help me out here. Let's let's once and for all 
go through this and set the record straight. Yep. Okay. Lee Harvey Oswald fell in the blank, acted alone, was part of a grand conspiracy. Go ahead. Yeah, Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. He fired three shots on November 22nd and killed JFK. And then he went on to kill a policeman an hour later. And uh, end of story. No conspiracy. So above those bullets, one of them was the magic bullet, true or false? That's right, yes. Well, but but it, it doesn't do anything magical. It's just how the seat was actually aligned, right? There was no... Yeah, there's nothing magical at all. I mean, basically, one bullet went through Kennedy and hit Connolly. They were perfectly aligned. And uh, the bullet was tumbling after it exited Kennedy's throat. And so that's why it was not as damaged as it would be if it hit uh, Connolly uh, head on. Uh, the Secret Service uh, not putting the bubble top on had nothing to help or hurt this. Well, it wasn't raining. It was look like it would look like there was going to be rain, and so had there been rain, they would have put the bubble top on, and maybe uh, Kennedy's life would have been saved. But you know, they took the bubble top off, and it's just a fluke of history that they they drove by the the place where Lee Harvey Oswald was working. Well, if there would have been rain, though, the bubble top would have been on, and the car would have been probably going faster. Yeah, exactly. And I think Oswald may not have decided not to take a shot. So. Okay, what else can we debunk out here? Uh, the Grassy Knoll. There was a bunch of assassins up there. Well, you know, have you have you been to Daly Plaza? I have not. I, that's on the list of places I want to go. So when you go to Daly Plaza, I mean, the first time I went to Daly Plaza, I get out of my taxi and look around, and I thought, am I in Legoland? It's so small. Daly Plaza is tiny. The the the, the, str- the length of the street is is very very. It's short. It's a very small space. And if you think, to think that there could be multiple assassins in Daly Plaza firing all these bullets um, and they weren't seen, it just doesn't make sense. And and you also realize just how close the Texas School Book Depository was to those shots. I mean, the first shot was 55 yards. Yeah. That's an easy shot for somebody like Oswald, who was a sharpshooter in the Marines. Well, somebody who, oh, yeah, like you said, sharpshooter in the Marines is somebody who took time and practice. I mean, come on. You know, and so you re, it's, it's it's really great going to Daly Plaza, and, you, and, and you, you, you can really see, okay, these shots were not hard at all. So the CIA orchestrated it all. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, you'd think that the CIA would have better things to do. Um, there's easier ways to get rid of Kennedy if you really want to get rid of them. Um, somebody could have poisoned uh, Kennedy during one of his love affairs with one of his girlfriends, and then the family would have covered it up. That would have been quick and easy. Or they could have leaked information about all his love affairs, and uh, maybe Goldwater would have won the election in 64. So the FBI is in the same boat. I mean, obviously, well, Hoover had a file. I mean, come on. If somebody wanted to leak information, it could have really easily come out. Yeah, Hoover uh, and Hoover knew about JFK's affairs. I mean, he actually sat down with with Kennedy to warn him about, stop this. You're actually cavorting with a member of the, you know, girlfriend of uh, mobster Sam Giancana. But what about the communists and, you know, their collusion? Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's all fascinating to think about. I mean, the one I, I would say, you know, there's one un- unanswered question. And the one un- unanswered question is, did somebody egg on Lee Harvey Oswald in the last few days before the assassination? I don't think there is, but it's always a possibility maybe somebody egged him on. Well, I, I think you might be right. Now, again, this is a wild speculation on my part, but... You know, having been through what he was through, you know, being gone to Russia and believing there for a while he was communist. I don't know if he, you know, take that for what it's worth. I never spoke to him, obviously. Right. And then being in the high school book depository and seeing all these American history books might just needle you every day. Might. Yeah, well, I think also Oswald was very upset after being turned down in Mexico City. He wanted to go to Cuba. 
and he was turned down by the Soviets and by the Cubans, and I think he was really not very happy about that. So, like I said, you know, you got these, you know, you got some baggage there, which you put the pieces together, and you obviously you can make the picture. Now, is it accurate? Well, we'll never know. Well, the one thing we do know is all this evidence points to Oswald. The gun, you name it, the, the, the cartridges, the bullet fragments, he has no alibi, etc., etc. It, it, and, and the fact that he killed J.D. Tippett an hour after the assassination. Which still blows my mind. But that's... Another fun fact. Okay, so let's get into the the Warren Commission for a minute because we did kind of dance around that people had taken issue with it. What do you think about it? Well, the Warren Commission was, they did a very honest investigation. They were honorable people. They made a few mistakes. And they never saw the autopsy x-rays and photo, photographs. And had they been allowed to see those autopsy materials and convened a panel of the top forensic pathologists, they would have firmly had great information in their report on the location of the wounds, and there would have been no controversy over the wounding of Kennedy and Connolly. So they, they didn't do that, and that led to a lot of speculation over the wounds. The second thing was the Zapruder film. While they had the Zapruder film, they didn't explain what was in the Zapruder film. They, didn't, they did not explain the head snap. Kennedy's head going back into the left, and that led to speculation about a shot from the front. They also missed the fact that his head moves forward and from frame 312 to 313, so it actually goes forward and then goes back. And they also missed, in frame 224 and 225, the fact that Connolly and Kennedy are... Move, are sort of reacting at the same time to a gunshot. So they could have explained the Zapruder film in more detail in their report. Where, That's where, the, where would we be without the Zapruder, the Zapruder film? Yeah, it's amazing. what an amazing piece of film. I mean, just incredible that Abraham Zapruder was in that position to sort of capture the whole assassination in such detail. I mean, you think there's conspiracies now. I think they'd be. <laughs> and his family made a lot of money from the Zapruder film. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this to the listeners out there. Can we name a piece of more significant film? That's a very good question. It might be hard to name something more significant. Maybe the piece of film of the Hindenburg blowing up, catching fire. Ooh. Fred's coming in hard with for with something else. I I was for sure he would have just left it the Kennedy assassination, but uh, so we'll revisit that here in a few minutes once they get a chance to rattle that around their cage because that's a interesting one. Okay, so but okay, so the Warren report, Warren Commission report comes out, and then all the people with their wild conspiracies come out, and you got this prosecutor doing his thing. But there had to have been a margin of people that thought this is done and over with. Well, you know, I think that, you know, when the Warren Commission published a report two months later, they published 26 volumes of evidence. And so for the first time, you know, you could sit in your in your den or your kitchen or your dining room and pour over all the evidence of a murder case. And so it was something unique. And all of a sudden, people started going through these 26 volumes and finding inconsistencies. And it led to an entire industry of people writing about the assassination. Which leads me, uh, we, we, we talked a little bit before about the 60s and being all the, these assassinations. And I... There's a bunch of market out there for people linking them together, but the more I see, the less I believe in any of that. What do you What do you think about all that? Well, there's, there's no evidence of any conspiracy in any of the assassinations, and I think that, you know, it, it, what made it really hard was that people, particularly back then, people on the left could not accept that a, a communist could kill Kennedy, and they found it hard to accept that a 
Israel-hating Palestinian could kill RFK. And so they these were unacceptable answers, and so they had to be on the lookout for conspiracies. What makes it really sad now is uh, back then it was the left that was looking for right-wing conspiracies. Now you have people on the right looking for left for other for left-wing conspiracies like Roger Stone and Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson who are on the lookout for proof that the deep state was involved in the assassination. Which is scary. I, I, I still don't. I have often wondered. I mean, you bring up the deep state and I have this image of some guy sitting at his desk for 45 years, right? Because that's what it would take. But who's, I mean, the people above him, why are they going to listen to him? Look, this is this is the, the the perfect thing about the JFK assassination. It allows anybody to use it for whatever whatever avenues you want to use it for. You want to explain the Vietnam War? Okay, you can talk about the JFK assassination. You want to explain um, issues with the deep state or why Donald Trump lost the election or you know all sorts of things. Here is the perfect vehicle. You use the JFK assassination, adds to the mystery, helps explain the conspiracy. Well. I- I got news for you. The JFK assassination brought us together years ago, and here we are again talking about it. <laughs> That's right. It brings people together. Okay, so I've got a few other video moments up so far already, and these are, oh, boy. They're coming in fast now, so let's, let's get through a few of them. Armstrong stepping on the moon. That's that's pretty bold, yep. too. Uh, yep. The Arizona exploring it, uh, exploding at Pearl Harbor. Yep. Uh, John Hinckley assassination attempt on President Reagan. And 9-11. And 9-11. Hmm. Boy, I don't know, Fred. We're going to be in for a decision tonight when, we, when it finally comes rubber meets the road and trying to figure out which one is the the king piece of video evidence of all time. <laughs> I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to put you in that spot. I'll, I'll do it, though, eventually. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a reason my, na- my name's on the door, right? Make these That's hard right. decisions. <laughs> yeah, you get paid the big bucks for that. The big ducks, yeah, big ducks all the time. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of big ducks, where can people find find you and find the books? So my website, on onthetrailofdelusion.com. Um, you could look at my information about my books, but also my blog, which has a lot of information about all aspects of the case, a lot of documents, pictures, uh, you name it, all the information is there. And uh, you could find my books on Amazon and any uh, internet retailer. Um, but my website on the trail of delusion.com will have all the information. Yeah, you have a, well, I'm not even trying to count, but a, a bunch of keywords there that you've done blogs on. Like it's an um, extensive list. Yeah, just click on the keyword and you'll get a bunch of posts about um, that topic. Okay, I'm not going to click on it. I'm going to make you tell me about it. Because I, I've heard about this, but I, again, I just know just enough to be dangerous. But the Umbrella Man? Well, <laughs> the Umbrella Man. Well, as, you can see this in this Bruder film. As Kennedy was, was going by on Elm Street, there was somebody standing on the side of the street with an umbrella up. And you could see the part of the umbrella in this Bruder film. And the question always was, why is this person having holding an open umbrella when there's no rain. And it was a question for years. People thought, you know, was he firing a flechette through the umbrella? Was he signaling people? What was going on? And finally, in 1978, the House Select Committee on Assassinations found the man who was the umbrella man. They found him. And the reason that he was holding an umbrella was that umbrella was the symbol of appeasement in World War II with Neville Chamberlain. And so because of Kennedy's father, who was an appeaser, he was trying to heckle Kennedy by using an open umbrella. I'm still trying to figure out how you found the guy with the umbrella. Well, not you, but how they found him. Yeah, well, you know, they had investigators on the ground, and uh, somebody must, I'm not sure how they did it, somebody must have tipped them off, and they found the guy, and he still had the umbrella. He actually brought it... um, to the hearings and showed them the umbrella. I mean, because honestly, right, we're looking for a guy who, again, because we have limited footage of this and limited, you know, like 
there's a partial umbrella. So we all know he was there, but <laughs> get, this is yeah. why I guess my, my, my point is the investigation work that went into this. I mean, they tracked down literally a shadow. They tracked down a shadow and, and uh, his name was Lewis Witt. And, um, but again, according to today, a lot of people still don't believe him. A lot of people today still believe there was something suspicious with the umbrella. I mean, I know the tech, I don't want to call it technology, but I know the technology exists. But I don't, okay. Okay, here we go. Question from Germantown Runner. Waves hello to him. He's been at Capitals games the last few weeks, so it's good to see him back. But nevertheless, was journalist and frequent game show panelist Dorothy Killen killed because she had information on the assassination? So Dorothy Kilgallen was a famous uh, journalist and uh, raconteur in New York City back in those days, and she did several stories about Jack Ruby and the Kennedy assassination. And the rumor is she, she died of an overdose of drugs, and the rumor is, oh, she was poisoned because she had gotten a secret interview with Jack Ruby and had all the information. And it's just not true. She died of a simple overdose. There's nothing suspicious. It was one of those things where back then people didn't have the correct dosage of some of these amphetamines that they were taking, and she just simply overdosed. And she didn't know anything to begin with. She had no information to tell us anyways. Are you sure? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just, you know, sometimes you, you, you hear these things, though, right? And it makes you think because, you know, but again, here she was poisoned. We were just talking about how that would be the easiest way to... Uh, well, overdose, poison, yeah, six, one, half dozen, the other, to take somebody out. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, but yeah, there's, there's nothing to that one. That one's a real simple one. But uh, again, people are still writing books about her. Uh, oh, yeah, well, someday I'll write a book. I'm not sure about who. <laughs> Who, who out there, I mean, because I'm looking at this list of names and people, who's got a, a rich story that should have books out there being read about them but doesn't, about their rule in this? Well, you know, there, there's so many, I mean, you'll see in my next book, I mean, I'll give you an example of uh, Raymond Brochiers. I don't know if you ever heard of Raymond Brochiers. No. See, there you go. So well, help me out here. So Raymond Brochiers ended up, he ended up being a gay rights advocate in, in San Francisco um, a fighter for gay rights. Um, but he was involved in, in uh, telling stories about the JFK assassination. And I'll tell you, this is hard to believe, but back in early 1967 or mid-1967, he was on a TV show out in Los Angeles, and he said that he had, he had conducted a seance and he channeled Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay. And Lee Harvey Oswald told him all these things about the assassination. Well, that would be enough for me to say, my God, you're slightly out of your mind. But some of Jim Garrison's investigators were on the West Coast and they saw that show and they decided to go visit Raymond Brochures and interview him. And guess what? He had all these stories to tell him. He had all these stories to tell about Lee Harvey Oswald and all the other people in the case that, of course, he knew. And so they brought him to New Orleans where he was questioned told all these stories. He slept with all sorts of people in the case, including Lee Harvey Oswald. And they realized after a week of questioning that this guy was out of his mind, sent him packing. Um, but of course, um, he ends up in all the conspiracy books as a, as a legitimate witness. Wait, wait. Now, here I am asking Fred, I'm sorry, but I have to ask this question. I'm putting my Jim Gatlin shoes on here for a minute. This guy is part of the conspiracy that he, he knew all these people who were involved and he knew the story and he, 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 he had, you know, he, he claimed to, to know all the people involved in the Jim Garrison story in New Orleans. And it was all, it was all ridiculously not true. But, but, but I mean, this all up. well, I mean, but I mean, I didn't stop him before. <laughs> no. And so the, the and, that, and what's, what gets me is he told the stories were so ridiculous that even Garrison re re thought it was stupid, but, if you read a whole bunch of conspiracy books today, they quote this guy. I was going to. He was also, by the way, uh, you know, questioned by the House Select Committee on Assassinations. And actually, this week I put up his 
audio of his testimony um, before the HSCA. And what do they think of him? Well, they, they realize, okay, this guy's out of his mind, but you can actually hear his stories on my blog. Um, just look for Raymond Brochures in that list, and it'll pop up uh, a link to a, a YouTube video I posted with his testimony. How long is this? Because I might have to do this tonight before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, okay, Fred, I've kind of beat you around and poked at you, but I'm giving you the opportunity here. I'm going to Willy Wonka some stuff for you. You know, golden ticket, maybe not chocolate factory tick, you know, tour, but, you know, nevertheless. So you know you know where I'm going with this, right? So if you could ask any of these players, Lee Harvey Oswald, Jack Ruby, anybody, right, in, in the puzzle, one question, who would it be and what would the question be? Well, it's a, it's a really tough question. I think that I would... I would have to ask Oswald, and and of course, I mean, I, the problem is one question makes it tough. I would ask him why he killed Kennedy. He would deny it, of course, um, but um, that's what I would ask him. See, I think we'd have, we now. This is just because it's fresh in my mind right now. Maybe you'd ask. Maybe we, we'd have to back it up a step. Is it possible? because of being a communist and working with the American history, you know, like, and see if you could kind of get him talking and hope that he came out with it. Yeah. You know, they they tried their best when they interrogated him after the assassination. I think think part of the problem for Oswald uh, when he was in police custody, that he'd also killed a policeman. So I don't think he was going to admit to killing a policeman while he was still in police custody. Yeah. I don't think that goes well. No, you have to get him out of police custody before he'd even start to, admit anything. And I, obviously that wasn't going to happen either. Well, if he had been transferred to the sheriff's department, I mean, again, I, I believe that he would have ultimately admitted everything at some sort of show trial in which he could blame the United States for a variety of crimes against Cuba. Ooh. I think and he was I, waiting for the opportunity. See, I never got that far to put him on trial in my no. head. I mean, obviously, because there was no need to have that thought, because never came about. Hmm. Okay, so now we've we have asked the one question, but now is there one? Because Trump and and Biden haven't released all the, the the JFK files yet, which blows my mind. Because if this is the conspiracy talking, right? Well, let's back up a minute. All the files have been released. Why haven't we got them all, like, without the black lines? No, what we're talking about here, and people don't understand this, we're only, the only thing that's left secret are redactions in files that have already been released. So all the files are out, but there are still some redactions in some of the files. So would you, would you, I guess my question is, if you got power to get anything, would it be just the complete set of documents without the black lines? Nope. The okay. only documents I want to see, the, the, the stuff that's redacted, is, it's already been looked at by uh, the ARRB. They looked at all those documents. They've said quite publicly there's nothing in them. I want to see the documents that are still secret in Moscow. Wait, the Russians have... Sorry, help me yeah, out here. The Russians have a massive file on Oswald that is still secret. How do we get our hands on that? Well, you have to make a deal with Vladimir Putin. Um, and the reason I want to see that is I think that um, it would detail uh, uh, further KGB plots to convince the American public that Oswald, that the CIA was involved. Uh, paging any listeners I have in Russia, I have a question. <laughs> yeah, and there's also f- secret files in Minsk, Mexico City, and Havana. I don't think I have that many strings, Fred. So I, I want to see those <laughs> files too. You're, I'm assuming Russia would be the top of the list and then probably Cuba. Well, Minsk would be pretty interesting because that's Oswald lived in Minsk. So there's probably uh, KGB files in Minsk. Oh, oh that's right. The same. Well, that's the little town he stayed in for, what was it, eight months or something? 
So there, but there, but there, you know, the, that might be duplicates in Moscow. But there's a lot of stuff in Moscow. I'm not that interested in Oswald per se. I'm interested in whether the KGB did any further operations. We all we know they did a few operations to convince the American public that the CIA was behind it. But are there other secret operations we don't know about? Ooh, because I mean, we're obviously we've obviously narrowed. I agree with you that Oswald acted alone, but. If there were seeds planted in his mind, which one could suppose, again, here we are drawing blanks, right? But we could. Yep. Could be. And then because, I mean, this is the start of the Cold War post Kennedy saying that, you know, we're going to put a man on the moon. Not necessarily a great, a great thing for the Russians, if we're being honest, because a man on the moon kind of gives us, um, a big feather in our cap, I guess, is the easy way to put it. So, yeah. So, what? What? I mean, what are you looking at these days? Because it seems like you fell. I mean, we were. You fell down this rabbit hole. Now you're down it. So, what's where are well, you? Where are you headed next? I guess is the easiest way to. Well, you know, going back to the files, and what people need to understand is is that. If you take the House Select Committee on Assassinations, only about 5 to 10% of their files, even though they're public, are online. Most of their files are sitting in the National Archives. You can see them, but they're not online yet. So there's a lot of files that people have not seen, and that's what I'm really interested in. And that's where we'll find more of the story. Not so much that we'll know more about what happened, but we'll know more, we'll have more documents to debunk certain things and debunk craziness and that's what I'm interested in. Is there a, a plan to get them online or are we just stuck? Yes, in fact the, the National Archives has a multi-year plan to digitize all the JFK records. I'm quite excited about this. Um, I'm not sure how long it'll take but they plan to digitize everything. Which is good because I mean, like it gives you access, gives me access it kind of keeps the door. There's going to be, you know, millions more pages put online. And millions more pages of books put online. Because... <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's going, to, it's going to fuel a lot of stuff, but it'll also help debunk more and more things. And so I, I can't wait till this stuff gets digitized. Killing trees every day right here. <laughs> well, good thing it's all digital. Yeah, um, it's all digital. Tell, tell me the website one more time, because I think people are definitely interested, because I know. Yeah, it's. So www.onthetrailofdelusion.com and, and the books are on Amazon and anywhere fine books are found. Yep, books are on Amazon, iTunes, Kobo, um, where else? Uh, yeah, you name it there, Barnes & Noble for the Nook. So, last question, well, two questions, but last question's kind of fun around here. Um, New Orleans. Do you think Lee Harvey Oswald actually conspired with anybody at that point? No, you know, he, he really was a loner. And, and um, you know, that's the thing about Oswald. He, you know, he, he didn't go out at night. He spent every night at home. He didn't, you know, he, he really was a loner and didn't have very many friends. So he wasn't the kind of guy that would conspire with people. That wasn't um, his nature. Yeah, I was going to say, because, again, here we are having this conversation. We're going to bring it back to this point. The more people that know are more people that know. Yeah, and he, he was naturally secretive. I mean, he really, he was in his own little world. Um, you know, when he, when, he was, when he was living in Dallas in the rooming house, separated from his wife, I mean, he just sat in his room all night. He didn't do anything. He was there every day. You know, he wasn't doing anything. I, I don't believe now if my, you know, if I were to do something like this and my wife's not know about it, I don't, I believe she would have enough signs around the house, clues, right? I mean, she was there. Well, she knew, she knew that he had tried to kill General Walker in April of 1963. But tried, and that wasn't like the president, you know, that's a general and that's kind of the military and, you know what I'm saying, like, that's a big So leap. she knew that. He told her. And 
but I, I, I don't know. Killing somebody, yes, is killing somebody, but. And that's why, that's why when the FBI came to the Ruth Payne house after the assassination and they asked Marina and Ruth, you know, did, did Oswald have a gun? Marina then knew, oh my God, he killed Kennedy. She knew it. Okay, Fred, last question, not about Kennedy. Easy question. Well, in the fun kind of way, like I said, what's your go-to favorite breakfast? Favorite breakfast? Eggs Benedict. Ooh. I hate asking that question because you know what that does? Make me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Love Eggs Benedict. Well, Fred, I, you told me earlier you're, you're you're pushing down another one, so we'll get you back on when that one comes out. And uh, safe travel. Again, you told me you're going on vacation, so be safe out there as you travel around the world. So I'm uh, looking forward to hearing about all of that. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And, uh, oh, any opinion on this most... Uh, Important video of all time before I kick you out of here. Which video? Yeah, which Zapruder which film? No, which one is the most important one of all? Yeah, time? well, it's got it's got to be Zapruder for sure. Okay, well, I, I think I'm going to agree with you, but I, I'll keep the listeners in suspense until I make my mind up here in a few minutes. <laughs> okay, talk to you soon. See you later. Thanks. Yeah, bye. Okay, so there's Fred uh, Litlin about the JFK stuff. But I, I've still got to decide the most important video of all time. We've got the uh, the Arizona, we've got the moon landing, we've got the Subruder film, we've got 9-11. Man, I just don't know. There's a lot of good ones here, right? I mean, not good. I mean, they're all tragic, right? JFK's tragic. Well, I guess Armstrong on the moon wasn't tragic. So I guess there's a good one, right? Of course, there's all the debate if that one's even real. So does that does that rule that one out of this conversation? Right? I don't know. I'm looking for some guidance here. Um, he mentioned the Hindenburg. Again, tragic. Is that what it takes to be the moment in time video thing? And I guess the next question is, what's the next one? Right? What's going to be the next big moment of time where we get caught looking at something for days like we did with 9-11 on a loop over and over again so you can close your eyes right now and I bet you if you're of the age that I am right most of you are close your eyes for a second 9-11 you see it right so I mean some of you can see the moon landing. I mean, I can see it, but I didn't watch it live, right? Just like the Supreme film. I didn't see it live. Or the Arizona, or... I mean, I don't know. Anybody else got anything else? Any other thing that we're missing here? Oh, the Bill Mazeroski home run? 1960, beat the Yankees? Is that Western Pennsylvania showing in me? <laughs> Sorry, I had to lighten it up there because uh, go Pirates, go Buckos. Because all these events have been tragic. That one lives in my mind too, and I didn't see it live either, but you can't watch a pirate history high right roll without seeing that one about a dozen times. So, what are we doing? What are we thinking? I don't know. I, I just, I hate that they're all tragic. And I hate that sitting here trying to rank them as putting one tragedy over another. But I think Fred's right. I think we would be really lost without the, the Supreme film because it's the one moment that we needed caught in the history, and we have it. See you next week. It's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think.
In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.